Amen. You believe God that can move the mountains? Do you believe that this morning? You better believe it. Because he can. He can do anything he wants to do. He's God. He's God alone. Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29 is where we are this morning. If you are a guest, we're so glad, we're so grateful God brought you uh, to worship the Lord with us this morning. Uh, Before we get into this, we've been going through on a journey through the book of Exodus. And so today we are on the ninth plague, darkness. And that's what we'll be looking at today. And uh, the title is, Don't Look Back. Don't Look Back. Before we get started, I just want to say... a very warm welcome to Troy Rutledge. Mr. Troy, we're glad you're here. Glad you're here. And then uh, we have so many people that I'm not going to get to all of you, so just you're going to have to get over it. But a few, a few other people. Uh, Stephen Craver, mighty man of God, is here, and his wife. Let's give them a hand. Glad you guys are here. And then my dear friends, uh, Dick and Linda Jeffries is here. Let's give them a hand. Dick is, uh, he is the head of security at Faith Baptist Church in Bartlett, Tennessee, and he came down and did a security training seminar uh, this past weekend, and we had a phenomenal time uh, learning how to uh, do ministry, how to protect God's church. So uh, thank you, Dick, for coming. Okay, verse 21. By the way, is it anyone soaking wet? The first service, people... It was hilarious. I mean, it looked like we all just went for a swim in the ocean. And uh, I told Corey, I think I could have slalomed uh, water skied down Main Street this morning. But uh, nevertheless, we're grateful for the rain. And it's about to rain right now, so I just want to warn you. The Lord's about to continue to move and speak. And uh, I cast away my outline this morning. I feel like the Lord, uh, I've never done that since I've been here, but we just put that to the side, and, and I think God's got something else uh, and I, I pray that God would uh, totally limit my personality and my flesh from this equation. And God would just speak through his word. And he would speak to you as an individual right there in your seat. I believe God has a word for every single person here. And he loves people. Did you know that? That God loves people? And uh, he sent his one and only son to be the substitute for our sin on the cross. So let's look at Exodus chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. How many days? Three days. days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we, shall, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face 
again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we believe that you are the God who moves the mountains. God, we're humbled that we get to sing to you. God, we're not worthy to be here. But Father, you look at us, you see the righteousness of Christ through the precious blood of Jesus. And Father, in these moments, God, we pray that you would grip people's hearts that came this morning not expecting for you to move. God, would you awaken us to the reality of the gospel and the gospel mission this morning. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The ninth plague. God shows his power over the little g God, Ra, R-A. Everyone say Ra. Ra. He is the sun God. He is the second most powerful God in all of Egypt out of the 2,100 false gods that they have, that they had. And Pharaoh, he would be their number one God, little g God. We'll see next week when God shows power specifically over him. But the sun, the most worshipped God in Egypt, other than Pharaoh himself, on these three days gave no light. Now, the sun's a very powerful force, right? There's fusion and fission bombs going off on the sun, and it's powerful, the most powerful thing in our solar system. But the day, that, those three days, the Lord showed that he had control over the sun as a witness that the God of Israel had ultimate power over life and death. The religious impact would have been profound. It would have rocked the Egyptians to their core. Darkness was a representation of death, judgment, and hopelessness. Darkness was a complete absence of light. And you'll notice in this text that where the Israelites lived, there was still light. There was a light in Israel because their God represented the light, and it was dark in Egypt because their gods represented darkness. Now, this was a supernatural event. There was complete darkness. There were no, on top of that, there were no street lights. There were no car lights. There were no cell phone lights. It was dark. It was very dark, so dark that you could not travel. You could not get around. We saw in the past few weeks uh, the boils on the skin of the priests basically shut down the religious system in all of Egypt. We saw last week the locust ate up all the crops and basically shut down all of the commerce that was happening, all of the business. Well, now God shuts down even transportation. He shuts down everything to get the attention of Pharaoh and the, all of the Egyptians and really the whole world to show he is who he says he is. Look in verse 26. Moses, well, verse 25 says, But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. You see, Pharaoh, in verse 24, said, Go serve the Lord, your little ones may also go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. He said that in verse 24. The past few weeks, we've seen every week this same old thing where Pharaoh distorts God's word, right? We've seen it. It's a, it's a habit of the enemy. Continue to twist uh, the word of God to make it a ha- half-truth. 
And so Pharaoh says, leave your flocks and your herds. But he, here's the deal. Moses, he understood that the Lord was taking them into a new land. God was doing a new work. And Moses, he understood that there would be some sacrifices that would happen in the future. He saw that with Abraham. God required a sacrifice as a foreshadow of the Messiah that would come. But there's no way that Moses could have known the Levitical law that God would give to his people and the sacrifice practices. Moses would not have known that. Example, that a lamb would have to be a certain age. Moses didn't know all of those things. But what Moses did know is that no matter what lied ahead, no matter what was going to come upon God's people, he knew that they needed to be ready to properly worship the Lord, come whatever may. He knew that, hey, we're going to take all the animals, we're going to take all our stuff, we're going to be ready to go wherever God calls us to go and to do whatever God calls us to do. No matter the music style in Canaan, Moses wanted the people to be ready to worship. No matter if some folks had on sandals, flip-flops, or if some people had on penny loafers, he wanted them to be ready to worship. No matter if some folks had on a Bahama shirt, or if some had on a polo button-down, he wanted them to be ready to worship. No matter if some people had on a sports coat, or someone had on a tuxedo. By the way, if someone came today in a tuxedo with a tail, a long tail, I'd hope that nobody would say anything about it. Seriously. Is this a U.S. of A. or not? People need to be able to worship the Lord. And if someone wants to dress in a tuxedo, please... Don't say a word to them. Just welcome them. Ask them questions about what matters. No matter if some were bricklayers in Egypt or if some worked in the palace, no matter their background, he wanted the people of Israel to be ready to worship. No matter if some people chose to have long beards like Moses or to be clean-shaven like the Egyptians, Moses wanted them to be ready. Moses' attitude was no matter the style, the cultural temperament, or the circumstances in Canaan, when we roll in, we're going to be ready to worship. This morning, we identify a lot of things with worship, don't we, here in the cultural south? And and friends, we need to make sure that we're not depending on tradition more than we're depending on the Word of God. There's a lot of churches that are closing their doors today because they revere tradition over God's Word. And I'm thankful that our church is not one of those. But if we're not careful, we can start assigning certain practices to our worship that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel or the gospel mission. It's possible there's some people in America today that if the coffee, if the latte is not just right, their worship will be affected. Now, I love a latte just as much as anyone, but that's not dependent on my worship. In fact, a latte will increase my faith and make me sing to the Lord louder. But hey, whether I have one or not, I'm going to praise God because he's alive. There's, a, there's many people this morning that their worship is dependent upon how a sanctuary looks. Many people, they've identified their worship with stained glass windows and other things. Now, there's nothing wrong with stained glass windows. But if they're necessary for our worship, if these things that are traditional and not in the word of God... If we attach so many types of those things to worship, then it limits our worship greatly, does it not? And what God's going to do this next week, 
most of the awesome things that he's going to do, it's not going to happen in this building. It's going to happen out on the streets. It's going to happen at the workplace. It's going to happen at the grocery store. It's going to happen where people don't necessarily want to go. The church needs to be ready to do whatever God calls us to do, and we must be willing to expend whatever resources allowed to us for the sake of the mission. This morning, believers, we can't look back. Don't look back. Moses was sent a message to Pharaoh and indirectly to the Israelites that we are, we are going with the Lord, and we're not going back to Egypt. We're not going back. Isaiah 43, verse 18, hear this. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God made a way out of Egypt when there wasn't a way. This morning, if you have been saved out of Egypt, if you've been born again this morning, don't spend time looking back. Don't look back at Egypt. Be grateful you've been set free and go forward. Now, most people don't like change. I've gotten to where I don't like change a lot at all. But whether we like it or not, the Lord does. We are on a journey. What do you think you signed up for when you came to know Jesus? The disciples, they left everything in order to follow this man that they believed to be God. You think their lives changed? Absolutely they did. You think their lives continued to change every year? Absolutely. They understood the gospel. One famous missionary, he was a pilot, Nate Saint. He invented the strategy to fly an airplane in a circle in order to drop down a package. One of the missionaries that was killed in Ecuador, he said, people who do not know the Lord, ask us why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. He writes, they forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. We don't have to waste our lives. God loves newness in the Bible. How many times in Scripture does it talk about a new song? Sing a new song to the Lord and a new work. Here's the point. You cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus. You cannot stay where you are and go with the Lord. It's impossible. If anyone had reason to brag about what he did for the Lord, it was the Apostle Paul. But even Paul claimed in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Is that your life? Forgetting what's behind and straining for what's ahead? We remember the past. We, we remember what God did in the past for the purpose of the future. Joshua, remember that story? He piled up the rocks. He, God told him to, to stack up the stones. Why? To remember what God did that day. 
so that their children and their grandchildren, when they saw those rocks, they would say, Grandpa, why are those rocks stacked up? And so Grandpa and Grandma could tell their grandkids what God did. That God can move the mountains. That God can do anything. That God brought his people out of slavery. When Henry Ford came out with the Model T, you know, there were some people that said, well, this is just ridiculous. People are lazy. They should be walking. Until one day they got to ride in that Model T. And they realized they didn't have to walk to the church in the snow both ways anymore. When the first air conditioning came out, you know, certainly there were millions of people that scoffed at the idea. What a waste of electricity. Those people, they are just lazy bums needing that AC until on one hot July day, they walked into a room with air conditioning and they thought, well, how about that? What about when the first microwave came out? Maybe some of you remember that. Oh, those people, what do they need a microwave for? They're just lazy and impatient. Until one day, they realized you can pop popcorn in two and a half minutes. And they thought, how about that? What about when the first, you guys remember the first cell phones and the bag phones? I so wish we had those still. That would be awesome. You can leave it in your car. But when the first cell phone that came out that can make video calls, video chat, how many people said, now why in the world do you need that? That's ridiculous. That's a waste of money. Until some folks realized they could FaceTime their grandchildren. Until some people realized you can video chat your children that live in another state or on the other side of the world. How about that? The point is that God's people should be creative. And we should be on the cutting edge of what God is doing today. And God's people and God's church should never settle. We should never settle. We should strive for excellence in every area because He's worthy. Whatever we do, do unto the Lord, not for man. In 1674, Isaac Watts was born. Anyone know about Isaac Watts? Famous hymn writer. A few of his songs, The Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. But as a teenager, he struggled going to church. Very similar to how I did, except for I wasn't a genius. He struggled because, here's a quote he wrote, To see the dull indifference, the negligent and thoughtless air that sits upon the faces of a whole assembly in church, while the psalm is upon their lips, might even tempt a charitable observer to suspect the fervency of their inward religion. In other words, Isaac looked around at church and he thought, man, do these people believe what they're singing? There's no joy. There's no fervency. And so he would complain about it at lunchtime. And his father, tired of the complaining, said, Well, son, write some songs better if you think you can. And that's what he did. At that time, 
German Lutherans, after Martin Luther and the Reformation, they had been singing hymns for a hundred years. John Calvin had urged his followers to sing only metrical psalms, to sing the psalms. That's the only songs that they sang. And so the English Protestants, they followed Calvin's lead throughout the 1600s. And all of a sudden, a young teenager thought that he had an idea of how to help the church worship the Lord. And so he began writing these hymns. Young Isaac said, we should sing the psalms like David would sing them in our day. Well, guess what? People hated Isaac Watts. Churches were split. Pastors lost their congregations. But you know what? The church would sing some of the most beautiful songs that up to that point had never been sang before. And God received more glory. That's what it's about. Do you know it's possible that some of the greatest music that's ever been written and some of the greatest songs that will ever be written have not even been created yet? The songs that we're going to sing in heaven, some of them we've never heard before. They're going to be new songs to us. Here's the point. If the Israelites did not follow God into a new work, a new way of life, and a new land, they would have been left in slavery. And some of them wanted to be. Some of them wanted to stay in slavery because they hated change. But more important than that, they would have missed out on what God was doing on the earth. They would have missed out on what God was doing among the nations. And because they did follow the Lord, and because they did walk through that sea with water walls on the side, they were a part of something much larger than themselves. They were a part of something much greater than anything that Israel could have done on their own. This past week, I was able to go with some seniors to the senior retreat. Uh, Mississippi Baptist Convention Board puts on a senior retreat every year, and we took some of our, our, our uh, ladies, and actually the only ones that came were ladies, and so I was a little uncomfortable at first because my wife wasn't with me. But uh, we went to Ellisville, and by the way, if you didn't get to go, we had Chick-fil-A milkshakes and Cracker Barrel, so you missed out. Shameful plug for next year. But we went, and I saw these folks that I recognized, Tom and Gloria Thurman. Anyone ever heard of them? Anyone? Well, let me tell you about them. They're some of the most famous storied missionaries from Mississippi. And they served in Bangladesh for 35-plus years. They, when they went to Bangladesh, there were hardly any believers. By the time they left, they planted 120 churches. Now there's over 500,000 people. 500,000. 500,000 that have come to know Jesus through the ministry that this couple from Mississippi started. And so I walked up to Tom Thurman. He's 84 years old. I said, Brother Tom, you remember me? We, uh, you helped train the summer missionaries in 2007 and, or 2005. And he said, oh, I remember. And I said, I want you to know that I've never forgot all those stories you guys shared. Reminding us that God can do anything he wants to do. That Jesus is alive and well. And so he just started preaching to me. 
He starts weeping, talking about the Lord and what God's doing now among the nations. He was telling me about the county where he lives in rural Mississippi. He's 84 years old. He's telling me there's 19 nationalities in the county where he lives, Columbia, Mississippi. He was talking about how they're reaching some of those folks. He was fired up. He started talking about Adoniram Judson. And I want to share a story about Adoniram Judson. Have you heard of that name before? Adoniram was the, the first missionary from America. He was a Baptist missionary. He was the first missionary that Baptist Christians sent out in America. And he and his wife boarded a ship and they headed for India. When they got to India, they were turned down. They said, y'all are not bringing out anything up in here. So they went to Burma. And they went to Burma in 1812. And at that time, Burma, the country of Burma, had millions of people. And it was believed that none of them were Christians. There was no gospel witness. For six years, the Judsons battled sickness. Three of their children passed away. Adoniram was thrown into prison. His wife, Anne, would sneak food in at night to keep him alive. And one day, he told Anne to send for a communion set from the U.S. And she said, but no one has come to know Christ. He looked at his wife and he said, they will. A hundred years later, on the anniversary of his death, there were 200,000 Burmese Christians. And today, there's twice that amount. And many more in Burma. And God used an ordinary couple that the world said, you're crazy. And God continues to use young people and older people and all in between to advance the gospel. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. So this morning, do you have faith in the Lord? Do you have faith in the God of the Bible? In Luke chapter 9, after listening to all these excuses why these guys couldn't follow Jesus, The Lord replied, he said this, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And I believe if Moses was here this morning, that would be a shocker, by the way. But if he were, he'd say, First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis, don't look back. Don't look back to Egypt. And all the pleasures in Egypt, God wants to take you into the promised land. God wants to take you to see things you've never seen before. Taste fruit that you've never tasted before. To go battle the Lord's enemies. To make his name great among the nations. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a part of something much larger than yourself? Last illustration I'll use. David Platt shared this past week at the Sin Conference in Dallas about when he was a college student. Dr. Jerry Rankin, who came to our church a few months ago, 
took him to breakfast. And David was sharing about how he wanted to go overseas and serve the Lord. And the wise Jerry Rankin took young David aside and he began to try to convince him that what America needed was for him not to go overseas, but for him to stay and to be a local pastor to raise up missionaries from home. is that amazing? This comes from a career missionary telling a young college student, don't go overseas. Stay up, stay home, and raise up more missionaries. You see, that's a man that gets it with multiplication. It's not about one man or one missionary or even one denomination or even one country. God's doing a work that's so much larger than any of us. And how has God used that man, David Platt, in our churches to mobilize people to reach the nations. As we close, let's look at verse 28. Moses said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Now Pharaoh is given a death threat to Moses. Now by this point, Moses probably figured out that he could take Pharaoh out. Now Moses was trained to be able to harm people. Remember? We learned that a few months ago. And by this point, Moses is not very afraid of Pharaoh anymore. Pharaoh, still wicked, still trying to twist God's word, still trying to go against what God was doing. Verse 29, Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Moses said, we're not coming back, Pharaoh. We're not coming back to Egypt. We're not going to worship your false gods. We're going to go with the living God. We're going to go with the God that created the earth and the stars and the one that created people. Moses was all in. His brother Aaron was all in. His sister Miriam, she was all in. Several more Israelites one at a time, begin to jump off the wagon and start help push. Friend, this morning, are you all in with the gospel mission? Are you all in with what God wants to do? Not just here, but all over. They were on mission. Don't you want to be a part of the Great Commission? Don't you want to be a part of something much larger than yourselves? Friend, we don't have to go across the world to do that. But by being a faithful church member in the local church. By making disciples that make disciples. We can touch the nations from Bay St. Louis. You believe that? If, God was, if he were to start really moving like he does in some places, most of us wouldn't be able to recognize it. Because our view of Christianity is so cloudy. We identify all these things with being a Christian that is not in the Bible. Habakkuk was discouraged one day. I shared this verse last week. All these wicked nations were seemingly winning the day. God reminded Habakkuk, 
chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations, son. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Don't look back, church. Joshua chapter 1, verse 16, the Israelites. So fast forward a few years. They were kind of hesitant about going into this promised land. And what did Joshua do in Joshua chapter 1? He reminded them, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And you know how they responded in verse 16, chapter 1 of Joshua? They said, whatever you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Is that your heart this morning? To follow the Lord this week when you go to work? As you raise your family, is that your heart? To do it how God wants you to do it? To do it the right way? Christians that look back towards Egypt are miserable. Missionaries that go overseas and look back home They're miserable. I guarantee you there's some missionaries that are overseas right now, and the ones that look back are saying, man, they have Walmart pickup. Some of them probably think, you know, that's pretty cool. But most of the missionaries overseas, they don't really care about Walmart pickup. They're seeing God do miracles. They're seeing God... People come and know Christ, chains being broken, demon possessed being healed. Life's too short to be miserable looking back at Egypt. Let's follow Jesus. A lot of people in this church are going to do just that, and they have been doing that for a long time. Let me ask you this, and I'll close. If we don't reach all the people in Bay St. Louis and Waveland, past Christiane, Diamond Head, Long Beach, and all the other places around here, if we don't do it, who else is going to do it? There are some other churches that are doing it well, trying to reach people. God's put us here to be that fragrance of Christ place where people can find hope and if people out there on highway 90 right now we're working in different stores on sunday a lot of those folks different places they don't have church clothes they don't and the more unnecessary barriers we can move aside for people to come worship the lord i think the better I know it's, you have the debate, Calvinism, Arminianism, all that stuff. I believe God's absolutely sovereign. But I also believe that we can tell anybody on the street, anybody in a house, anyone at the workplace, that Jesus Christ died for you. We have the gospel. And it's time for all of us to be unashamed of that gospel. To start being more concerned about what God's doing outside of these walls. We spend all our time talking and praying for sick people. Then people aren't being reached. 
Now, God cares about sick people. Did you know that? If you get a hangnail this afternoon, God cares. He cares more than anybody else cares. But our church, sometimes we're so inwardly focused that we're missing out on what God is doing. Don't you want to go with the Lord? I think this morning he's inviting us to continue to be a part of kingdom work. So this morning, don't look back, church. Don't look back. Don't look back at Egypt and think about what you're missing out on. God's got something better for you. God wants to do a great work in your life. This morning, if you don't know Christ, you can come to know Jesus. Maybe you're a young person and you're about to go to college. God wants to do phenomenal things in your life. And you got a decision to make. You can follow Jesus and all that he has for you to be a part of his work and his kingdom. Or you can go whatever path you want to go and do your own thing. Many of us in here, we've tried to do that path, and I'm telling you, it did not work out, did it, church? didn't work out. When God says no to something, he's saying yes, something better. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a guest in our church, and you think, you know, I'd like to join that church. If we haven't talked to you about that, we'd love for this next week for you to come by the office or invite us. We'll come to your house. And uh, we'd love to get to know you better. If you've been visiting for a while, we already know you. We've already been talking with you. Maybe you just need to join today, become officially part of what God's doing in this church. Maybe today you're broken because you've been awakened to the reality of the gospel. You've been awakened to the fact that there are people that do not know Christ. Maybe you realize that you've taken that for granted and you've forgotten about the mission. I do that many, t- many days. But God hasn't forgotten about it. God wishes that none should perish, but all to come to repentance. This morning, you respond. We want to encourage you to respond. Come forward, pray at the altar, stay in your seat, stand and sing, whatever you need to do to respond to the gospel message, you do it. Father, in this time of invitation, Lord, we just say thank you for Moses, a man that got out of the way and you used greatly. God, thank you for being in our midst. Thank you for speaking through your word. Lord, we are thankful for your amazing grace. God, today your church says thank you. God, we give you these moments and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.